This is the MFG cast. Everybody, Kurt here. Uh, we have an awesome guest on with us. You may know him as the Big Bad Overlord, but we know him as Danny Desilis. Did I say yeah. that right? That's oh, yes. right. You did it. Yes, <laughs> man. Awesome. I just I love when a thing comes together. You get a gold star. Hey, all right. I don't think I ever got one of those in school, so I'll take it. <laughs> it's about time. That's right. Um, but we're going to be talking to him about some Big Bad Overlord stuff. We'll also be talking about some upcoming things from him and his company. And uh, just kind of find out a little bit more of him, uh, more about him. So, Danny, you being on here for the first time, we always like to ask people how you grew up gaming. So why don't you tell us like about how that all started? I started doing, I did some miniatures wargaming in uh, high school. But I started gaming mostly in college uh, when my friends and I, had a D&D campaign going for a while, and uh, we played in heavy rotation the uh, two or three games which we had, which included Risk. Um, I believe Monopoly was in there somewhere, and we had the old Avalon Hill title, Titan. And, uh, you know, that basically took up most of the time that we should have been using to do our homework um, and things like that. And uh, that's where I also started to uh, design games uh, in college because I had a captive audience who was uh, more than willing to play test anything I put in front of them. So it was an ideal situation. So when you say you started with miniatures, wargaming and stuff like that, like what would you guys do? Would it be something that you had like a strategy? Would it be a, a certain kind of game that you guys made up? How did that start? That was actually a homebrew system. It was based on, uh, there were a lot of systems. Uh, this was the early 1980s. So there were a lot of homebrew systems kicking around. Um, mm-hmm. We happened to mostly focus on uh, late medieval, early renaissance uh, miniatures gaming. We did some campaigns that were uh, whose rules were loosely based on uh, diplomacy, the game, um, and then the, the actual field battles were done uh, you know, using, uh, using a system. In hindsight, I, I'm, I'm not sure what it was adapted from uh, because these were the only systems that I knew. But uh, they were uh, fairly straightforward, a lot of dice rolling, a lot of measuring, you know, um, <laughs> And a lot of strategy that I had generally failed to grasp in the first uh, few outings. So <laughs> I did not have a good track record at these games, but I enjoyed uh, painting the miniatures and uh, lining them up. So it was always always nice to see your troops arrayed before the battle when everything goes south. It's it's funny because I you know early on I think I did I also play like diplomacy and risk and stuff like that, and whether or not I had fun or not like I actually did I was awful like you put put me out in any kind of war situation any any situation where I have to make a snap decision or a good decision for that matter it's never gonna be great. <laughs> yeah I I've uh, 
I became an adequate uh, tactician, but I was never a good strategist. And so I tended to do poorly uh, the longer things went on. But I enjoyed it. Nice. Um, it was fun because winning isn't, isn't what it's about. And I'm still not the best strategist. I have a remarkable habit of losing my own games um, to people who grasp the mechanics at a level that I don't. Um, but, you know, it's not about the win-lose ratio. No, exactly. Exactly. And that's a good that's a good way to go into it, too, because I know some people that are just like, that's all I want to do is win, win, win. And it's like winning is fun. But, man, if that's all you're focused on, you're not going to have very well, much fun. Yeah. The, the quantification becomes, you know, I know there's uh, I don't know if you've seen one of those those apps they have now that allow you to, uh, to track all of the board game plays that you that you make. A lot of them tap into the board game geek database. You know, you can log exactly how many times you've played each game. And, uh, you know, I have some friends at a meetup that I go to who literally record everyone's score after every game for everything they ever play. So they can tell you exactly how many times, you know, they've played Wingspan and what everybody's total was and what their total winning percentage is. And, you know, that seems that seems like a, an excessive level of attention to detail to me. Um, you know, I just show up to play what's around. And uh, if it's new, all the better. Yeah. Yeah, I we we actually here try to do that once, just keep logging plays and stuff like that. Man, that seems like it's more work than actually playing it the game itself. <laughs> it's it like, does, wow. it does. Uh, you know, especially if you have to set up like a new player profile for a player you haven't uh, you haven't played with before, because mm-hmm. everybody's got their profile in, in these apps, you know. So, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, you spend enough time setting the board up and cleaning it and putting away the zillion components. You know, you don't need an extra task on top of that. <laughs> so that's true. That's my two cents. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, I think it's a hobby where there's a lot of you know different types and stuff like that. And some people are just like, I need to do every single thing about every single thing, so I know and, every single thing about it. It's just and that's to me, it's exhausting. Sure. I mean, as long you know, as long as they're able to enjoy playing, and mm-hmm. uh, they're able to be gracious winners and gracious losers, then and mm-hmm. you know, all the rest is just details. You know, yeah. they're more than yeah. welcome to. You're you're all more than welcome to track all the plays that you make. You know, I have no problem with that, but uh, don't expect me to to follow suit. <laughs> For sure. So you said also when you were role playing too, you played like two or three games at a time. Is that is that what I heard? In, in college, yeah. Well, we yeah. ran. Uh, we did run multiple campaigns because everybody wanted a chance to to be the DM, mm. um, and so we kind of experimented with. There was one sort of. Uh, larger long-term campaign that ran for about uh, three and a half years mm. and that was sort of the, the main home campaign that brought all of us together but there were several satellite campaigns that were uh, run by different people i ran one or two you know just to see it's it's i mean being dm is kind of a uh, it's a different uh, way of experiencing the game i think we all wanted a chance to do that it's fun in mm-hmm. uh, in a different way than playing as a role player you know there are different Different goals, different uh, gratifications, different creative gratifications. You know, so it was fun. <laughs> That's cool. So, what did you enjoy more then? Did you enjoy DMing more, or did you uh, enjoy more as a player then? Well, I was too much of a. I tried to railroad people too much when I was the DM. <laughs> I enjoyed the world building. I enjoyed the world building a lot. But then, uh, you know, when people went off script, you know, I would sort of work to shove them back in the right direction and. Uh, it, it was a little frustrating for for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I enjoy story. I enjoy the the writing of the stories. I decided that I would uh, take that 
storytelling impulse and put it into writing stories and uh, let other people DM the live experiences with other people, people who are good at and enjoy that. Yeah, that's awesome. So speaking of railroading people and and being kind of a a menace, let's talk about, uh, you know, just getting into designing games and, you know, more in particular, you know, coming up with your first published game, Big Bad Overlord. Yeah, um, it was, like I said, uh, we had very few games in in college. Remember, this was was a long time ago. We were in a small college town. Um, I knew of some, some good gaming stores back in New York City, but... In a small town in Ohio, there did not have a lot of choices, and um, you know we just uh, had some ideas for throwing something together. I think Overlord is the um, I think Overlord was the second game I developed. Actually, the first game was uh, Simulation of the Trojan War, which was a because I was busy uh, filling out my classics major at the time, and so you know I enjoyed drawing. I enjoy I enjoy. I enjoy making things, and uh, I just threw a threw a deck together one time and uh, told everyone that's what we we're doing tonight, and uh, it worked. You know, <laughs> and I think it, it in hindsight it draws on a lot of elements of the few games we did play. There's a lot of dice, there's a lot of dice chucking, um, like in Risk and and like Risk and Titan both uh, involve you know sort of pitting your armies against another player directly and sort of uh, you know competing with different stats. Um, Titan probably isn't too familiar to a lot of people today, but it involved sort of sending armies of creatures out into uh, a large, a large map with different terrains, and the, you know you could recruit additional creatures in different terrains and sort of build uh, small forces that you would then use to attack other players. Um, it's a fairly uh, bloody game by today's standards because you're literally you know chopping other people's armies up along the way, mm-hmm. and so I think Overlord reflects some of that. Uh, you know, but it also is kind of reflective of you know, just, uh, five or six of us sitting around playing cards, you know, which is uh, which is the fun part, and being as evil as possible along the way. <laughs> so, yeah, I developed uh, four games in college, um, nice, and uh, so two of them survive. Overlord is one. Um, the the Trojan War game survived as well. Um, I have components for a third, and I only have memories of the fourth. I think that. Uh, I've moved a lot over the last few decades. Uh, I'm sort of surprised that any of them survived. So, yeah. So, what do you think about what do you think about Big Bad Overlord? Was something that just kept coming back that kind of stuck? Well, it was the game we played the most. It was simple. Uh, it was fairly simple to set up. Uh, it was it had a lot of replayability. People enjoyed it. In fact, we played it so much in college that the first deck I had wore out. Um, the <laughs> cards were. I mean, not that they were, you know, fantastic. I, I literally took uh, cards, two colors of cardstock that I glued together. I, I, you know, the cards were hand drawn and xeroxed, um, and I laminated them using clear shelf paper because that was the best product I could find for the purpose. Um, so they they literally fell apart. I did, I built a second deck and made some improvements to the to the art and a few tweaks to the mechanics along the way. So, but I didn't think about it for a long time. Uh, I just happened to. I, I packed it in. I packed it up when I left college. We really didn't play it, and uh, I came across it a couple of years ago in a storage box in the basement. And I realized that I had both the two original decks and a copy of the rules, which was fortunate because my computer files from those days are completely gone. And uh, I also realized that you know nowadays um, you can print on demand with all of these nifty online services, 
And so just on a lark, I scanned the deck that was in better condition, um, sent the pictures off to one of the card printing companies, and I had a shiny new deck in about two weeks, and it was really exciting. That's awesome. So, And that's when I had the thought that uh, maybe this is something that uh, I could kickstart. Yeah, very cool. So, you know, you know, trying to kickstart your, you know, first game and stuff like that, what kind of hurdles and, and, uh, bumps along the way did you have to learn about to, to you know, get this thing made? Many, <laughs> there were many, <laughs> many hurdles. I assumed that, uh, everyone would think this was a great game because my friends thought it was a great game. There was, um, I actually, my first, I actually, I tried the, the successful Kickstarter was the third time that I attempted to, to launch this. The first time was a highly embarrassing and very abbreviated campaign. There's a lot that needs to go into connecting with an audience for to, to build support for a Kickstarter. Uh, and uh, I did not have that network, network at all first time around. Um, second time I thought was a legitimate attempt. Um, I simply didn't wait quite long enough to, to, build, to build the um, awareness, to build the campaign. And I also found that... Uh, the game, although I enjoyed it a lot, it had a, there was a really, it was a solid game um, with a good premise. Could still use some improvement, uh, you know, particularly because it is a much different gaming market today. It's much more competitive. You know, people are not as impressed with your with your home drawings. You know, I uh, ended up redoing all of the art uh, and really workshopping the rules with a very dedicated and, and wonderful group of friends and playtesters here. I owe a lot of the success that the game has to them and to their efforts to really, you know, sharpen the game up. Um, we ended up simplifying the combat mechanics, you know, trying to drill down what is it exactly that you want to preserve in gameplay and what could be improved, what are the barriers. Playtesting it around and demoing it, I, sh- I demoed it a lot at local conventions, you know, in uh, Illinois and up in Michigan. Um, I went to Origins here. I'm located in the Columbus area, so that's kind of a no-brainer. I hit, I think, every game store within driving distance. Um, I went out to Cleveland, out to Cincinnati. And so we had, you know, hundreds of people try the game out in different contexts. And it was really interesting to see people's reactions when you have a larger sample size like that, you know. Some people were not that experienced with games at all. Some had a lot of experience and consequently a lot of expectations, which may not have been in line with uh, what the game offered. And so, you know, it took me a while to learn what it is that my game had to offer in a crowded market. And, uh, you know, what, uh, what is the best part about gameplay and the game experience that people can take away from it? And how can I make the most of that aspect of the game so that people get the most out of it. Yeah, and that's a lot of work, especially for from someone that you you know you just in case people aren't you know getting the gist of it. Like you're doing your own art, you're doing your own yeah. you know you're doing your own rule book, you're doing your own rules, you're doing your own mechanics. Like it, it's a one man show. Yeah, um, that that is a lot of work. Uh, I, I happen to have a lot of these skills in my toolbox just from just from my work. I. I already was, you know, I, I use Photoshop and InDesign. Um, you know, I've done a lot of editing. Um, I'm a professional writer and editor, so, you know, um, refining a document is sort of, you know, 
work. Um, <laughs> you know, so, and, and I've also um, done a fair amount of web design, so, which involves some visual design as well. So I'm not really, I'm kind of a jack of all trades. Um, so the downside is, yes, it's a lot of work. The upside is you get a lot of uh, sort of creative ownership in the final product. You know, um, I know that, uh, you know, certainly, again, there's the playtesters who, who sharpened the, the rules um, and made the, made the game what it is. But in terms of, uh, you know, the final product, you know, I have, I think, uh, you know, I have only myself to blame for shortcomings. And, uh, you know, I think it gives you a real sense of, of ownership. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, it, it's funny because just, you know, just before the weekend before this recording, we actually, me and my wife and my son actually got to play this game. And uh, you read the rules and it's like, okay, you know, you need you need some luck to really, you know, to really do this thing. Yeah. And uh, boy, I tell you, I, I myself did not have a lot of luck. Holy crap. <laughs> I, I find a lot of people aren't, uh, few players are really neutral about it. You know, they often come away from the demo table feeling that this is one of the greatest games they've ever played or feeling that uh, they never want to play it again. Uh, <laughs> not a lot of middle ground there. And so, and, and, and that originally concerned me a little bit, um, you know, but I realized that, you know, uh, not every game needs to be perfect for everybody and not everybody needs to take away the same things from the gaming experiences. You know, I've mentioned before that I'm not myself a very good tactician. I, I don't track my wins and losses, but I suspect if you did, you'd find I was sort of a lot more in the loss column. Uh, but you know, that's okay. That's not why I'm in. That's not why I'm in the game. So you know, a lot of what I try to give players is sort of you know uh, a themed experience that is enjoyable. You know, I encourage people to really get into the the evil, you know, the evil overlords. Um, one of the things I ended up doing is really. Developing the personalities of the evil dukes, uh, which was a lot of fun, you know. Um, so even if the dice are not your friends, um, you know, you can have fun snarling at everybody at the table, and uh, you know, spitefully sort of messing with their die rolls. As I said, it's it's a it's a part of the package. Yeah. So um, yes, I don't know. Did you have did you happen to take uh, you know as a quiz on our website um, where you can decide. Which evil duke fits your personality best? Oh, nice! It's uh, it's a it's a quiz with about uh, I think about fifteen questions. Nice. Um, so if you if you haven't had a chance, I, I suggest you check that out. That was a lot of fun to put together, and it will give you answers that are based on uh, you know roughly the the, the themes and the personalities of uh, of these characters. So yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny too that you talk about like the theme of it and stuff like that because when we were playing it. Like, I know that, you know, I wasn't doing really good myself, but, like, I, I did the thing where, I you know, you can keep attacking. So I was like, I decided to keep attacking my son. I was like, I'm going to attack you again. He's like, why do you keep attacking me? I'm like, I'm evil. That's what yeah. evil people do. <laughs> right. I'm going to keep attacking you until I can't attack no more. Excellent. So you were doing it right. That's and and uh, so dare I ask who, who, who walked away the winner? Uh, I think Tracy did. I think she, 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 I think she smoked both of us pretty handily. Right. Well, yeah, that that can definitely happen. You can get some some nice lopsided victories. That's um, right. Yeah, it's you know, I tried to make it so that you know whether you're winning or losing, it's fun to uh, you know, it's fun to to field the monsters in the deck, 
you know, um, it's fun to step on the the heroes who who come forth, you know. And if you're going to lose, you know, I try to make it so that losing is as ridiculous as possible. You know, that's why one of my favorite my favorite villain in the deck is the uh, is the small children card. Yeah, I uh, and it's funny too because I think the game that we played, I'm pretty sure we saw four do gooders to start with, and we're like, okay. come on, yeah. It's uh, actually one of my testers suggested a variant where um, you actually make sure that you leave the do-gooders, you shuffle the deck, and then make sure the do-gooders aren't in the first, uh, you know, 10 or 12 cards, just to make sure that they don't stomp on you um, to start with. But I had other play testers who strongly insisted that part of the fun is watching someone get smeared in the first round if that happens. So, you know, again, not a lot of neutral... uh, not a lot of neutral opinions, you know, so I leave it up to players. You know, you can play. Uh, I'm not a, a stickler for the exact correct way of doing things. If you have fun with a particular variant, then you should go for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny, too, because even when, you know, you can affect even when you're dead, uh, Logan was the first one to actually die with his character, and he had that the plus, you know, the plus one, negative one cards, and he did cards. affect a couple of our a couple of our spots where, and he even did a couple of things where I was kind of like, "Wow, very good on you," because he's like, I can't remember. I think it was one of them where it was like I could he could have helped me attack, and I was getting whooped pretty bad. And he's like, "No, I think you can get whooped some more." <laughs> <laughs> also, I was like, how pick dare up you? the right attitude? Yeah, yeah the ghost cards. Um, which allow players to, to stay in the game and, and continue to curse or help other players. It was actually the 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 latest the, the most recent addition to the rules, nice. um, because that was the one thing that that uh, it did come up sometimes in playtesting is that Overlords uh, it's an elimination game. So you know unlike most games today where everyone's sort of working in parallel towards uh, victory conditions. And you only find out who wins at the end when you add everything up. Uh, you you can be just knocked out of Overlord uh, completely. Um, sometimes early on in the game, and uh, so the ghost cards are a way of keeping players engaged even if they can't win anymore. And uh, that's they proved super popular in playtesting. It was a stretch goal originally, um, but people reacted so positively to it in the demos that um, I included it anyway. Even though we didn't quite make the stretch goal in the Kickstarter, but it was too good to leave out. So, um, you know, so I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you all enjoyed it and that you got into the spirit of it, you know, <laughs> spiteful, spiteful die rolling from beyond the, beyond the grave. That's right. That's right. And it reinforces so, the fact these are all cartoon characters. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, so what, what is, what's your takeaway from designing now? Is it something where it's just, you know, is it something that just feels you now or is it something where you're like, well, I'm still going to take my time and, you know, kind of work my way up on these games? Because, you know, it after your you know, first, you know, this is your first, you know, really successful game. You know, it's like, you know, you could go full bore or, you know, you could be like, OK, well, let's just pump the brakes here and see, you know, what we can do. Well, it, it I think what you do next depends on your goals for me. Um, this is not, you know, I, I have a small production company now, uh, Big Bad Ideas, that I'm using. It's what I use to release Overlord, and I have some other projects. Um, this is not my full-time job, and I don't see it becoming my full-time job in the near future. Um, but that actually gives me a, a fair amount of flexibility. I do think that 
if you want to make a make a, a play at you know sort of staying relevant and in people's in people's minds, you do need to sort of continue. I came up with a lot of other. I've had other ideas, you know, as I've been refining Overlord and as I've been playing a lot more board games myself lately. You know, I have a lot of other ideas, and so I have another project in development. Uh, it's a two-player wizard duel called Whizbang, which I will be, uh, which I've been uh, playtesting for the last uh, couple of months, and I will be submitting that to the Cardboard Edison Awards um, at the beginning of the year. I do think one a challenge today is that the gaming market is so crowded. It is so very crowded. On the one hand, you can make almost anything you want, but getting attention for it is another story. Um, with thousands of new releases every year, it's simply not possible for everyone to to stake it, to try everything out, you know, or even to be aware of everything. So, for that reason, in part, I've chosen uh, for at least the next couple of projects to, to stay with the branding that I established for Big Bad Overlord. So, which is actually a lot of fun because it's a really flexible, you know, it's a sort of a flexible setting. You know, I've got all these uh, monsters and wizards and. Uh, you know, you can do a lot of different things with this theme that aren't just, you know, expansions of the same game or, you know, variations of the same game. So Whizbang uses a lot of the same characters. All the wizards that are in Overlord are in Whizbang. Uh, many of the monsters, um, and of course, a lot of new things. Um, but it's a totally different game from Overlord. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't play the same way. And uh, I even have a cooperative game in development in which uh, players are uh, trying to make dinner for one of the Dukes. So... Success or failure depends on whether or not they manage to feed him before he eats them. So, you know, and it's just a very, and so they're very different approaches. You know, I mean, they're very, they're very different in terms of mechanics. Probably some will appeal more to others in terms of gameplay, but I, I'm hoping that, you know, the theme and the character setting will be enough to provide some, some continuity and some interest across the different games. You know, because I don't want to be releasing the same thing over and over again, which a lot of companies do. And I totally get why they do that. You know, say, if you like Ticket to Ride, you'll love Ticket to Ride underwater, you know. And, uh, you know, people feel compelled to buy all the variations. You know, it's that's not what I find interesting. I'd like to continue doing new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it's I think it's okay to have things in the same universe as long as they're not so similar. You know, I think, right. I think your Ticket to Rides, even though it's a it's a good series and stuff like that. And it's, it's tested over time. Like if you can take, you know, a certain IP and like make it into, you know, a totally different game in a, like a different part of the universe that, that actually can have a lot of legs because it's like, okay, this one's this kind of thing. But like, I like your making a dinner for the Duke. Like that's a totally different thing. It's just in the same universe, you know? Right. And it helps when you don't have a lot of narrative consistency to maintain in the first place, you know. Mm-hmm. And since it's basically a Scooby-Doo cartoon, um, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, uh, things are a little different. Uh, you know, you're not conforming to a, a central storyline or anything. Um, you just have some hopefully appealing characters with, you know, certain characteristics that you can, you know, play with in different ways in different settings. But I do think that theme is really important, you know, Um human experience because you know looking at the games that people tend to return to over and over again and enjoy they tend to be the ones at least this is my personal experience that have uh, uh, a compelling setting or a compelling theme and an execution that makes it fun to play 
you know, uh, and, and sometimes that can be components, you know, um, I know Stonemeyer does a lot of beautiful work with these sort of overworked, uh, components. Sometimes I said, I don't know, have you seen tapestry? I have. Uh, yeah. Those gorgeous, they have these gorgeous miniature buildings that aren't even that essential to the game, but they just are, there's, they're just so much fun to put on the table. Um, <laughs> you know, they just add to the atmosphere and it's so they're clear, you know, uh, wingspan is, you know, this gorgeous artwork and this, uh, you know, every component has a lot of thought put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, or games like Quacks of Quacklenburg, you know, which are kind of zany and off the wall, but, you know, are such a strong, have such a strong theme that's carried forth, you know, through every aspect of the components. Yeah, that's awesome. Know, or even games, well, one of my favorite recent ones I saw recently was Village Pillage. Have you, uh, have you had a chance to try I that I want to say that that is one I've actually never heard of. It is a great game where you are, it's basically kind of like a, uh, almost like a rock, paper, scissor game, you know, where you are, you have, basically you have a handful of character cards, each of whom has a particular attribute, and each round you place one on either side of you face down, and then everybody flips up their cards, and then you sort of play them in order, you know, and the goal of the game is to gain turnips, literally nice. turnips, and the, the, the money markers are little cutout turnips. <laughs> and it's just so weird and so perfect that you know it's just it's just very appealing um you know i mean it's it's a nice solid game to boot but you know that's whereas if you know there are other games that are just kind of forgettable mm-hmm. um actually i was with uh i was in a cafe the other uh the other week with uh with a friend uh with my wife and we were um we were just playing a game off the shelf and it was a perfectly serviceable game. It had, uh, you know, it was some, I, but I could not tell you for the life of me what it was called. <laughs> and we must have played it like five or six times. Oh. Um, it was one of these very generic, you know, it's like you're putting down matching cards uh, that mm-hmm. can match in color or shape or, or a number. And so the color, shapes, and numbers were all very generic. You know, it was like, you know, stars and, and fla- you know, stars and sort of clip art flowers. And it was, I think put out by a fairly major company. Um, totally forgettable. I wouldn't know to look for it. I wouldn't bother because there's yeah. nothing. It had some made-up name. And, uh, you know, if you had, and I couldn't help but think, you know, if they had put any kind of theme on top of this that made this memorable um, or entertaining, you know, like if it was, so oh, I don't know, if they called it Dog Pile and the pictures were all different dogs, you know, mm-hmm. That would have been enough just to, you know, just to, you know, give it a little bit of character, a little bit more interest and, and a memorable name that, you know, is sort of related to gameplay. You know, that's something that you could look for. But instead, it's just, you know, utterly forgettable. And I'm sure they saw it as a very safe product to put out there, appealing to families in, all across America and around the world, you know. But uh, you know, it seems like kind of a waste to me, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if we're going to fill the market with thousands of games, they might as well be, you know, creative expressions of, uh, you know, the different artists and designers that, uh, you know, make it a uh, fun discovery whenever you're going to bust into somebody. I go about once a week, and I almost never play the same thing twice. Every week, there's so many games, there's always something new, 
and often I can't, you know, when people say, what do you want to play? I look and I haven't, I haven't played any of them, even though I'm coming. And, and that's great. You know, and some of the games turn out to be more interesting than others once you try them. But, you know, that it's, it's really fun just to, just to explore the variety. Yeah. Games that you've played and stuff like that. Let's, let's talk about like, let's talk about a couple of games that are older and a couple of games that are fairly new that you really enjoy. Um, older games that I enjoy. Mm, well, most of the, well, I've been kind of, kind of wondering if I get my hands on a copy of Titan. I'd just like to see how it holds up. Um, but, um, some games that I played that I know are out of print are, uh, Wasabi is a fun game. This is, uh, I think it's about 12, 15 years old. It's a tile laying game where you're building recipes. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance. You're basically building sushi recipes. Nice. No, that's uh, so that's one I have not played. It's a tile laying game. Uh, you know, you're sort of you're matching recipes. You get extra points if they're in order, but you can do it without. And so you, everybody takes turns sort of placing food on the on the sushi mat. It's just it's a great concept. It's really fun to play, um, but it's out of print. I know one person who has a copy. When she brings it to the meetup, everybody jumps on it because it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And as a bonus, the flip side of the tiles are in Dutch for some reason. Um, so if you ever <laughs> I always, the Dutch I always, word for you know octopus was this is your game. <laughs> nice. uh, yeah, you know, and 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 that's the other thing. So because of the way the market works, um, so few things uh, remain in print. You know, this was a great game. Um, apparently, it was popular when it came out, but it was only printed once, as far as I know, maybe twice. But you can't buy a copy now except on eBay. For maybe a hundred bucks. Yeah, you know? it seems like Z-Man does that a lot, where it's like, "Oh, get it now, because you'll never see it again." Right, and so, and and I get sometimes that's a deliberate strategy, you know, for smaller producers like me. You know, I have no particular plan for uh, reprinting Overlord. You know, not that I not that I need to at this point, but I mean, just even looking down the road, um, it would be, you know, it would be difficult to do. Uh, even with a success, even with the successful sales and a successful Kickstarter behind you, just so um, you know, it's 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 part of what lends adds to the variety, but it, but it is a little sad. Newer games we just played uh, Altiplano the other day, which I gather came out a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a resource building game. I'm told it's similar to Orleans, but I haven't played Orleans, so you've never played Orleans. Okay, you no. need to play that game. Play that game. Yes. That's my. That's my one of my. That's probably my favorite game. So yeah. All right, and I, I've been told. Um, <laughs> I will tell you again, but, sir. Uh, yes. So I, I, you know, that was it, it. was a lot of fun. You know, um, I did very poorly because I, I chose to invest in alpacas, which is never a smart thing, but. Uh, <laughs> And that's the whole name of the game, basically. So you think it would be. Basically. Yeah, definitely, you know. <laughs> so, you know, um, there's a lot of nice, uh, there's a lot of nice rolling rights out there, which is actually a whole genre I was unfamiliar with until earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like doing a crossword puzzle, you know, uh, just sort of meditative if you want to solo a game. But we uh, played a game called uh, That's So Clever. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, Ganz schön. It's a German game. Mm-hmm. Gunch and clever, and uh, you know, which is just—it's just a nice sort of thinking piece, you know, to sit down and sort of wrap your head around for maybe twenty minutes. Um, you know, they just—they just, uh, 
offer a lot of great experiences, you know. Yeah. So, but I'd be hard pressed. Usually, the my favorite game is the one that I played most recently, especially <laughs> if I won. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I it I always get that comment every time I win a game. Now it's like, yeah. God, I really like that game because you won. No, right. I like that game. I'm sorry, I I like it. I don't. I mean, I I understand. I understand. People probably say that a lot because I don't win a lot, but still, yeah. it's it's funny. Well, I know that people get very passionate about some of their games. You know, some of the games they have. I'm always um, sort of amazed by people who invest in these uh, sort of aftermarket upgrades for their board games. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I see someone pull out a game and every card is sleeved, you know, and there's there's three sizes of cards and they all have custom sleeves. Um, you know, the money's all been replaced with sort of you know uh, Etsy. Etsy custom crafted coins, you know, in brass, uh, you know, then, you know, the bags have been replaced with, you know, embroidered bags. And I know this is a game they really like. Um, <laughs> or they have OCD. Maybe both. You know. <laughs> that is true. These are not mutually exclusive things. That is true. So besides what you've got coming up, besides the other two games you've got coming out, is there anything else for the future? Well, I mean, I have notes for another two or three games. Um, nice. I'm kind of trying to focus on again. I, I'd be, I would not describe myself as an experienced uh, game business professional, but I do know that uh, you know. I, I think that I was fortunate enough to succeed this last year. I'd like to build on the network that I had built for that Kickstarter and have worked to maintain in the months since then. You know, um, that's one reason why I'm I pushed to get Whizbang ready for. Um, for consideration for the uh, cardboard Edison's uh, by January. Um, unfortunately, it's a fairly straightforward game and it's doable. Um, also, it's a, because it's a simpler card game, it will be less expensive to produce. I'm actually hoping on the next Kickstarter to aim lower than uh, the goal for Overlord, which had some more components to it and whose production cost was a little more. I've seen a lot of sophomore efforts sort of uh, falter, you know, uh, typically when you reach up, you know, Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, I'd like to, you know, if I have, I have a game that I think people will enjoy, and I can do it for less. I'd like to do that, you know, and and sort of keep trying to roll out for for maybe a game a year down the road. I'd like to find a way that Trojan War game that I developed. We brought it out for my playtesting group uh, last summer, and it held up remarkably well nice. for something that I put together when I was eighteen. No, I, and I, I seriously thought about making that the next game I'd roll out, but I just could not wrap my head around starting over for the branding, which is really what I have to do. Yeah. You know? um, and so uh, it might not be the game for me. It might be a game that I could uh, possibly convince somebody else to develop. I have ideas for how to improve it now, especially because uh, there's so many other options for you know things like uh, keeping track of hit points for characters and things like that. There were many ways that, you know, components could have been improved but uh you know, but it was a nice solid game so hope maybe i'll find a home for that at some point who knows you know but until then just trying to look maybe a year into the future at a time yeah it seems like plenty for me yeah that's um, a good way to do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome so if anybody wants to get a hold of you and try and get updated on news and stuff like that and what you're working on how can they do that well um they can try me on I'm on Twitter at Big Bad Overlord. It's uh, that's my Twitter handle. Um, I also have a uh, there's a the website BigBadOverlord.com has a lot of information about the game 
and uh, it has a link for a mailing list, uh, which I do not use as frequently as I should. Um, <laughs> but I do post updates there on on projects that uh, you know I posted a lot of work. Uh, I posted a lot on Overlord as it was being developed. And uh, for the upcoming projects, I'm actually going to be developing uh, a, a new website for the company, BigBadIdeas.com. Right now, that redirects to the Overlord site, but it will eventually be its own standalone site. It will have a little more information about the upcoming games. So if you're interested in seeing what's coming next, Twitter or Facebook, I'm also Big Bad Overlord there, or sign up for the mailing list on the website. Very cool. Or you can stop by uh, at Origins next year and say hi. Hey, there you go. Nice. I'd be happy to do that, too. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Well, very cool. Well, it was good to finally, uh, we've been talking on Twitter for a very long time. I've been cowering to your um, evil <laughs> evilness on Twitter. It was nice to put in put a kind face. I'm going to say a kind face to the evil oh, man. background. Can't say that. I'll lose my <laughs> it, it is a really, lot of fun to... It's like uh, a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Twitter is a great place to be a Saturday morning uh, cartoon villain. That is you know? true. Um, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun to to stomp around uh, right. being evil. So, <laughs> Yep, that's where you're going to do it. That's the best place. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Danny, for coming on. And maybe when Whizbang is on, on the heels of getting some heat going and getting out there, maybe we can talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you very much for having me, Kurt. You betcha. And join us next time when we have another amazing guest because we're just doing guest up the wazoo here, folks. So until next time, I'm Kurt, and thanks for listening. This was the MFG Cast. <laughs>